Welcome into another episode of the Musketeer Report podcast. Paul Fritschner, Rick Broing with you, and the Xavier Musketeers season has started. Xavier 2-1 and one right now as we record this. It's been a while, Rick, since you and I have talked. It's good to see you back in, uh, good to see you back in a home studio in a livable situation here. Yeah, we're getting closer and closer to the, the normal setup, but not, not quite there yet. Yeah, so Xavier 2-1, and one, start the season with wins over Robert Morris and Jacksonville, 77-63 over Robert Morris, 79-56 over Jacksonville. And last night, as we record this probably two nights ago when you all are listening to this, 83-71 loss to Purdue up at Mackey Arena. I was up there. It was an incredible environment, uh, really a great game all the way through. Xavier never really had a, a, a I don't want to say they never had a chance to win, but it never really felt like Xavier was ever in control of the game. Purdue pretty much had control from start to finish of it, but Xavier was always right there. Xavier always uh, made the shots, stopped the runs, felt like they had a puncher's chance for most. It was of the never a blowout game. It never got out it of was hand. Never, it never got out of hand. We'll talk about all that and more here coming up in just a few minutes. You and I have not podcasted since before the season started, so we have a lot to catch up on here, especially as Xavier heads out to Vegas on Wednesday afternoon for their Friday night game against Washington. Then it'll be a matchup against either San Diego State or St. Mary's. Both of them dropped out of the national rankings this past week, uh, a couple of days ago on Monday. So there won't be any ranked teams uh, out there in Vegas, but still some high-quality opponents, especially San Diego State and St. Mary's, uh, both of them with a lot of expectations coming into the year. St. Mary's picked to win the WCC over Gonzaga. So a lot of talent out there. Should be a good couple of games for Xavier, good opportunities for them out there. But let's first take a look back at where Xavier is right now, how Xavier has gotten to this point, a lot to talk about. Rick, I'll let you start with your general overall thoughts of where Xavier is right now how things are looking, and and uh, kind of give us the state of the union here at 2-1 at and one on the season. Yeah, so here's what I thought we could do. I, I think the general takeaway so far, at least, I don't speak for the fan base, obviously, but from what I've been gathering on social media and on the message board, the general takeaway has kind of been like, results-wise, this is kind of what we expected. Right. I mean, it doesn't look too clean yet. It wasn't too smooth. Yeah. You didn't really have a chance to beat Purdue, but all in all, things look okay. And, and there's plenty of reasons to be excited. Uh, I think instead of going back and breaking down each individual game and, and going through everything, I think it'd be good for us to kind of hit on some of the individual things that have popped up already. And maybe the best way to do that is by sharing things we're most encouraged by, and then maybe a few things that have been concerning. So I thought maybe we could just kind of go back and forth and give w one thing each. We'll trade back and forth, but we'll, we'll do a total of like three things per person that we're most encouraged by after the first three games. And you can take that to mean whatever you want, Paul, whether it be I'm, I'm most encouraged for this season or I'm most encouraged long-term for Xavier's next few years or whatever the case may be. So uh, with that in mind, Paul, what would be the first thing that, that comes to mind when I say, what were you most encouraged by after these first three games? Well, I have a, a couple of player specifics and then I have one in general. First thing, uh, and this no real order, this is just how I wrote them down. Dalen Swain has been very encouraging to me, and that kind of tails into what you were just saying with the future of the program when you look at the freshmen, but in particular, Dalen Swain and what his mold and, and archetype of a player is and what he can bring to this program going forward. You watch him in preseason practice, and you saw him gradually take steps and steps and steps forward, but now to see it out there 
in action, especially last night against Purdue, against high major competition coming down the stretch there, hitting some tough shots, making plays. The athleticism is there. The shot making is there. He hasn't it felt like he hasn't really been overwhelmed so far. I've been pretty impressed with his play. Yeah, so actually I, I wrote mine down before we did this podcast, and one of the things I had on there was specifically the fact that he's making shots and making such a big impact already. Because I think when I saw Dalen Swain as a prospect, I thought he looks like one of those guys that is a high upside guy, could end up being a great player. But he also has the look of the guy who's not always high production in terms of at the the preps level in playing Nike EYBL. And uh, then he was on the Adidas circuit. But I think, I, I or excuse me, he, he was EYBL kid. But I think the, the big thing for me was how long is it going to take and is the light bulb ever going to go on for him? The fact that he is already on the court and becoming a major impact player for Xavier, like they need him to play more minutes and they're relying on what he's giving them on both ends right now already. And I think one of the biggest things in terms of unlocking his upside and getting him to that next level is his skill level and him making jump shots. And so far that's been maybe the most impressive part of his first few games is the fact that he's knocking down three pointers and handling the ball a little bit. So I would agree. I think Dalen Swain has been a, a really big bright spot for the Xavier team. And that's both for this season and for the long term. But the fact that he's already getting into the mix and making a difference is, is a really good sign for his long-term development. All right, your first one. You're up. All right, I'm going to say that Desmond Claude has made the jump. Now, does that mean everything is perfect and Desmond Claude has been completely dominant and it's been great so far? No. Does he need more help on offense? And are there some concerns about Xavier scoring enough points and other teams basically being able to key on him and cut off his driving lanes and turn him into just a jump shooter? Yes. But overall, I mean, that first game where he came out and scored 25 points right away to ease any concerns about is he really ready to be a go-to type of player? And then also, even at the end of the game the other night at Purdue, he started off so poorly in that first half and was really forcing the issue and slick them on his hands or something, just couldn't uh, control the ball at all when he was trying to make those drives. And then in the second half, he ends up still scoring. Like he ends up with 14 points for the game, throws in a couple of tough threes late. He didn't play well in that game, obviously, but just the way he's scoring points and the fact that he seems willing to be that go-to guy on the offensive end, I think that's a good sign. I think it's clear that he has made a major jump and he is this team's best player. I mean, Quite honestly, if we're just going on what we saw last year, I think there are some real concerns maybe for certain fans that hadn't had the luxury of seeing him in preseason practices like we had that are like, is this guy really going to be our go-to offensive option going into this year? And those people, I think, really probably had those those concerns to ease over the first few games. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, all right, number two for me. Sasha Shiani, I think he's been fantastic so far. Uh, I was debating between the two internationals. I think Gitas, I, I, I'm more pleased with what I'm seeing out of Sasha because of what we saw from him in the preseason. I think Gitas, he was more experienced. He'd played at a high level before. I'm not exactly surprised by what we're getting out of Gitas. I I, it, it's weird to say I'm not surprised, but also to come over here to a new country and to get into the system and to be playing at that level right away. And, you know, he's not a prolific shooter, 
but he's a he's a good shooter, but he's also experienced. So as far as things I'm most encouraged by, I'm going to go back to the well on the freshman. I'm going to say Sasha because you saw him in that Purdue game. Look, he didn't back down from Zach Eady. He played well. He didn't score a ton, but just you know, defensively, what he was able to do there, it kind of moves well. He's shifty underneath the basket, get the ball down to him around the basket. He's, he's shifty and kind of move his feet and get around, even though he's a bigger guy. He, he doesn't move all that well, but it seems like he just knows how to move and when he needs to move. Shifty. So, shifty. Yeah. I, that, that is a term I will remember being used about Sasha Shiani is that he's shifty. Yeah, that's what I mean. That's what I'm going with. That's what I'm going with. Uh, yeah, I, I I think that um, to see where he is now, and I thought you made a great point uh, last night in your post about it on Twitter, where you were saying like a couple months ago, you and I looked at each other at, at one practice. I, it might have been his first practice or first full team workout, whatever it was. And you and I looked at each other and thought, when is he going to be able to even see the court? And now here we are against a consensus top three team in the country. And he's out there giving you pretty high quality minutes when you need it because of Usman was in foul trouble. Paul, I cannot believe how much he has improved since his first practice. I mean, th this is a guy like physically he moves completely different from how he moved a month ago. And I'm he's not shifty. saying like, yeah, he's shifty. That's right. I, I'm not saying that's uh, because of like some crazy gains he's made in the weight room or anything. Um, although maybe that's helped some. I think it's way more about just the fact that he's gaining confidence and knowing where he's supposed to be running to and knowing where he's supposed to be. I'll tell you what, he shows up to work every day. Like I think Sean said about him on a show that he's very serious and that it's definitely the case in practice. Like he's not cracking smiles. He's not laughing about a lot of stuff. He's there to put his work in at practice and, and do a good job. And, and he wants to do well and wants to be a really good player. So I think that's why you've seen him improve so much in such a short amount of time. Um, there's a long way to go still. I don't think if you're relying on Sasha Shani for 20 minutes against Donovan Klingon or uh, Ryan Kolkbrenner, that's going to be a recipe for success in the Big East season, even though he had some good spurts there against Zach Eady. But overall, I would agree with you. Like, I, I really cannot believe how much better he has gotten in just two months of action. Actually, a little bit less than two months. Yeah, yeah. All right, you're number two. All right. How about Trey Green? This guy, Trey Green, Paul. I would say the fact that he is ready right now, even if his shots aren't going down yet. And that's important because they need offense. They need another shooter. And they need someone who's wired that way. Not who just has the ability. But like, like Colby Jones, for instance, his first couple of years, even if he was ready to take on a, a bigger scoring load, he just wasn't really wired to score. He was more of a distributor and a playmaker, and he kind of developed that killer instinct and that being more of a go-to guy instinct later in his career that last season. With Trey Green, he has that right now, and they need someone who has that to go along with Desmond Claude to step up and take some of the scoring load off of Des's shoulders. Now, Trey's going to have to start making some three-pointers at some point if he's going to fulfill that role, but I don't worry about that. Like the one thing I know Trey Green can do is shoot at a high level. It was all the other stuff that I was more concerned about. Is his size just going to be too big of an issue, whether it be on offense or defense? Uh, will some of the, the quickness stuff and the ball handling and passing he does, that's pretty slick. 
will that just not quite cut it at the high major division one level? Well, so far we've seen all of that stuff looks fine. He just has to start making the open threes that he's getting. And, and like I said, and I think you'll back me up on, that's one thing that I just have zero concerns about is whether he's going to shoot well over the long haul. And the other thing too is he's not somebody that's going to back down from taking the shots just because they aren't going in. And eventually that's going to pay off in more made shots. It might be frustrating in the beginning because they're not falling, but it's not like he's going to shoot it at 20 or 22% over the next three or four games. And then all of a sudden you're going to see him take to a game from there on out the rest of the way just because they aren't make they aren't going down. He's going to be a volume shooter. Eventually they are going to fall. Trust us on this. We have seen a large enough sample size that three games at a division one level is not a big enough sample size to to go out here and say, oh all right, let's reel it back in. Let's just take two or three. That that, that can't happen for this team. Well, and not only is he not going to be discouraged or back down because of a shooting slump, but he's also not going to shy away from the big lights, the big environments. I mean, you saw it. It doesn't get any tougher than Mackey Arena in terms of environments that you're playing in and against a team that's ranked number two in the country, pretty good competition, and he was ready to go. The shots weren't necessarily going down, but he came out gunning, and uh, that first three that he hit in the first half I felt like it was a big shot at the time. Like it, it felt like it was keeping Xavier in the game at that moment when the game was starting to slip away. And then he hit another big shot later in the first half and dropped off an assist to Kashienze. So like I thought Trey Green actually kind of kept Xavier in the game for those final seven or eight minutes of the first half at Mackey. And to me, that's like that's the thing that really stands out is the game isn't too big for him. He's ready to go. And as soon as the shorts the, the shorts, as soon as the, the shots start dropping. He is uh, going to really, I think, I, I, honestly, I could see him moving into more of a starting role or at least playing starter-like minutes as the sixth man for this team. Yeah, I could too. Don't edit that. Uh, no, all right. no chance. Okay. Sharks for life. <laughs> uh, number three, we're moving on. We good here? Number three? Yeah, what do you got? All right, so this one I went a little more general. Um, I'm going to say the ceiling of this team for this year, because obviously we know going into next year, who knows whether Jerome Hunter and Zach Fremantle come back next year, what the roster turnover looks like. Sure. We could sit here on November 14th, 2023 and say that the March madness 2025 could be very special for Xavier. I think anybody listening to this that even remotely closely follows this program would know that that's probably a, a true statement. But the ceiling of this team this year is the a major question mark and something we've talked about for months with the roster turnover, with the new faces, everything else. And now you, you go to Purdue, which, yeah, it's one game, but it's a road game. And I, I'm not a huge moral victory guy. But they could have rolled over last night and lost by 30. They could have they could have gone up to Mackey Arena in front of an unbelievable crowd and and laid an egg and lost by 30. And I don't think a single person listening to this would have been surprised. I think a Sean Miller coach team losing by 30 would have been the biggest shock just because you, you don't really see like there's there's just kind of that edge, that toughness there that you're not just gonna get run out of the gym like that. But Still, I, I don't think anybody would have been shocked if they would have just completely not shown up last night. But they didn't. And it, it was tied 19-all midway through the first half. Every time Purdue threw a punch in the second half, Xavier came back, got it within five, could never quite get over that hump. 
But there were so many times where a team like Purdue, which has Final Four national championship caliber expectations this year, had the opportunity to go on a 10-2, 15-5 run to really stretch the lead. And for what it's worth, up until the final or the under four timeout in the second half, Xavier was hanging around. And I think to me, when you look at the schedule between Washington, you know, whoever Xavier plays on Sunday, then you have Houston, you have Cincinnati, then you have this big East. I mean, this is a crazy schedule for Xavier. You're sitting there and you're looking at it. You're going, "Uh oh, what's going to happen this year? The the ceiling of this team, I'm not going to say it went from an 11 seed to a three seed, but to me, at least, it moved up a couple seed lines last night. See, so I, I see it a little bit differently. I would actually say, to me, the floor got raised significantly. Like, I don't think this team has much upside. I don't think they're a team capable of achieving, like, a, a top five seed or something no. like that. Um, what I do think is there was a possibility, and I, I didn't feel like this was a terrible team coming into the season, but in the back of my mind, I mean, especially after that conversation I had on the Skinny podcast, if you listen to that at all, where uh, Richard Skinner had said that he thought Xavier would finish under 500 after watching their first game. Yeah, he was out. Skinny was out on the musk. He was out. He was out. And I'm not saying, like, because they lost by 12 to Purdue or whatever it was, that you should be all in on Xavier at this point. And, like, that's some, like, crazy, impressive feat. But what I do think it showed is – they're not going to just roll over and get blown away by top level competition this year. Like they can potentially play with UConn. They can potentially play with Creighton. Those games aren't just like, Oh, this team has no chance to even compete at that level. And you're just praying they can play with the Seton halls and Providence's and St. John's of the conference, right? Like Xavier will be competitive again this year with everyone in the conference. And, um, and I think they will be kind of where we expected them to be, which was in that, middle of the pack in the conference, somewhere between like fifth and seventh, probably maybe fourth and eighth, if you want to make the band a little bit wider there. So that, that that's kind of where I would be on it. I, I don't think they have much upside with this group. Now, don't confuse that for me saying they won't get better because I think they can get a lot better, but I don't think they're very good right now. Like j- just because they lost to Purdue by 12 doesn't make them a good team. It means they didn't roll over and get run out of the gym. Um, they've got a long way to go still. And the good news is I think they are going to continue to get a lot better and they will go a long way um, in terms of their development. And ultimately they'll end up being a team that's probably somewhere on the bubble still. Like that's where I saw them before the season. And now after the first three games, especially after that game at Purdue, I feel more conviction in that original prediction that they'll be right on the bubble at the end of the season. Um, I, I don't know if they do you feel stronger now that like you feel they're definitely a tournament team and and potentially could be playing for seed lines right now? I I mean, I guess if you were to like I guess if right now if you were to say Paul are they like in the tournament? I mean, no. I I I think I think the way that they played last night though did convince me that they could get up to maybe like an 8 seven or eight somewhere in there because two weeks ago if you would have told me hey they're in but you know they avoided Dayton but they're the last team in that avoided Dayton I'd have been like yeah yeah all right that checks out but now if you say yeah well you know they they uh they beat UConn at home or they uh they snuck one out against uh they you know they they swept Villanova or they they snuck one out against Marquette at Centos you know one of those 
Now, you're talking about a seed line with a, a couple of wins like that. You, you beat Houston, that changes the whole deal. Yeah, more than anything, maybe from a fan's perspective, I think what we learned from the Purdue game is this is going to be a fun season. This team is going yes. to be in games. They're going to be competitive. Like it's not going to be some nightmare season where, oh, they're just not talented at all. Like they really don't have a shot in any of these high level games. This is going to be a rough year. You're just building for the future. No, this is a team that's going to compete while it's building for the future. And that's what you hope with a Sean Miller team at this point. He said it himself. We were at an event. I know you were there uh, where Jason Benetti and Val Ackerman and, um, I think that was it. The, the women's coach uh, was Billy, there as Billy, well. Yeah, Billy, Billy was there yeah. and um, and Sean was there. And I, I forget what they called it, but Sean said at that thing, he said, the standard at Xavier is the NCAA tournament. Like, we're not shying away from that. That That's that's what we do here, and that's going to be our expectation every year. So um, I feel I feel pretty good about saying that that's, that's where they are again this year is, is we're, we're not going to change the goal and say like, oh, no, they're rebuilding this year. So it would be good for them just to be almost 500 in the big East or whatever. It's like, no, they should still be a team that's competing to get in the tournament, even if it's on the bubble. Yep. All right. What's your third? Uh, well, it was the Dalen Swain thing, um, but we okay. kind of already hit on him since you brought it up. So let's talk about Gitas because that would have been the other guy that I probably would have slid in here. And, and you mentioned it briefly, but we didn't really talk much about him. Gitas is a guy that over the first few weeks of practice, we heard some really strong feedback coming from inside the program saying like, this might be the best player on our team right now that not named Desmond Claude. He's doing a lot of things. Well, he's experienced, he's tough. And then over the course of the next month plus, it seemed like Gita started to fade on the depth chart a little bit as some of the other guys that were younger and more inexperienced and, and namely Lazar Djokovic started doing more things and understanding more of what he was supposed to be doing and started competing at a higher level all of a sudden, I think it was pretty clear, and Sean Miller has said as much, that they were planning to start Lazar Djokovic at the four spot, and Gitas was going to come off the bench. Now, Lazar broke the bone in his hand. He wasn't able to do that. And Gitas has been their starter so far and really logging a lot of minutes at the forward spot. Paul, I think he's played admirably. Like, I think he's exactly who we thought he was, who we thought he'd be over those first few weeks of the preseason when it just seemed like he was solid. Like, he's where he's supposed to be. He rebounds hard. He he defends enough, even though he's not very quick laterally. He plays with a physical edge to him. And he can knock down the occasional shot, even if the next two shots he takes are going to be hideous-looking bricks. God, yeah. yeah. It was two for five from three last night. No, I agree. The, the way that he plays is just a hard-nosed style where he's in the right spot at the right time. He is, like you said, he, he is where he needs to be. And that's just because he's not lighting up the stat sheet. Granted, he did have a double-double in his first game. But just because he's not pouring in 25 points or because he's not, you know, dishing nine assists or whatever it might be, he's just doing the little things. And you need a guy like that. On a team like this, you need a guy like that desperately. And he is that guy. And through three games, he's exactly who we thought he'd be. And that's good Good to see that it translated from the preseason now to this three games in and it's been the same it's basically been the same at least effort wise it's been the same thing in all three games that's ex that's exactly what i was just going to say he doesn't change it at all either he, he's not bothered by Mackie arena or who the opponent is it's like he just has a one track mind he does what he does and it's like he's again not a huge upside guy probably not a guy that's going to have any uh 18 point games or anything like that 
but he can get you 10 and six. And uh, he does that pretty regularly. And uh, he plays with just a level of toughness that I think the, the staff really appreciates. And I think his, his teammates have come to appreciate as well. All right, Paul, let's jump into a few things that have concerned us. What, if anything, has jumped out to you as a concern for this team? Okay, so I have two. I have a player and I have a general. Uh, player, I, I don't know how you, you couldn't start with this one. Quincy Olivari has been really concerning to me uh, through the first three games just because you brought him in to be a shooter. He's shooting at 25%, um, and he's just he's taking the shots. And for as well as he shot the ball in his career, you feel like they're eventually going to start to fall. But even toward the end of the preseason, he had kind of started to fade in the last two or three weeks going into the season to the point where you were starting to wonder, is Trey Green going to play his way into those minutes? And I would not be shocked whether it's Trey Green, whether it's Dillon's, as far as those minutes go, whose name is announced when the game starts. I would anticipate that probably at least for the near future to, to remain Quincy. But where those minutes go, right now, it's hard to justify that high quality of minutes for Quincy with the way he's playing. I would agree. And you saw his minutes did drop down to just 22 against Purdue after being 28 in the first game and 29 in the second game against Jacksonville. So there's definitely an acknowledgement there that he did not play well in the Purdue game. And I think it's not just missing shots on offense now. That's the biggest value that he brings to this team is to make three-pointers, stretch the defense, give Desmond Claude some more room to operate. They need him for that more than anything. That's why he was brought in. But he's also really struggling defensively, uh, or at least he did in the Purdue game, I thought. And he had a couple of turnovers as well. It's like, you know, he's got to be an efficient player and then be solid enough defensively. Right now, or at least in the Purdue game specifically, he was none of those things. He was inefficient, 0 for 5 from 3, just 2 for 8 from the field. He had a couple of turnovers, and then defensively, he was he was a bit lost. So it's going to be hard to justify more minutes from him or for him if he continues to play like that. But like you said, I mean, he's a guy who's made so many three-pointers in his career. You hope that at some point, he's going to knock down some of these shots. because it, Now, one thing I am concerned about a little bit is some of the shot selection. I don't think he's had great decision making in terms of some of the shots that he's taking. But that, but, but I, that's not nothing. That's not nothing, though. True, but he is getting some open ones. It's not like yeah. all of these shots are bad, tough, guarded shots that he shouldn't be taking. Some of them are wide open shots in rhythm within the offense that you're trying to get for him, and he's missing those. And again, it's only three game sample size. He's you know four for sixteen right now. It's it's not the end of the world. It's not a big deal at all. But you add on the fact that he really struggled in the the scrimmages from what we heard, and he wasn't good in the public exhibition in the blue-white game, took a lot of shots and missed them all. That That's where you start to wonder, like, how long can you go giving him the minutes when a guy like Trey Green might just be able to give you more right now? Yeah, and the other thing, too, with playing Trey Green, where you, you could be sitting here listening to this and saying, well, Paul... He- they're, they're both not shooting it particularly well. Well, if you're going to get not particularly well shooting out of two guys, I'd rather it be the guy who is going to be around this program for a long time. 
Yeah, and Trey Green just gives you a different spark. Like, he's making plays, he's making things happen that Quincy isn't doing. It's like, Quincy is a spot-up shooter, and if he's not knocking down those shots, he's not going to give you much else offensively. Whereas Trey, uh, you know, he is a shooter too, but he can make plays off the bounce. He is a, a, a legit point guard who can really handle the ball and use his quickness to get some paint touches. And he's done some of those other things like Trey green aside from the shooting, I think has played pretty well and he's been better defensively than I think most people expected coming into the season, given his size. Yeah. All right. What's your first one? I would go with high end talent. My concern for this team is that it's Des Claude and a bunch of bench level players. Like, cause if we're talking about some of the freshmen right now, or we're talking about the solution to some of the problems we're seeing, like a Quincy Oliveri potentially not being ready to, to, or not being capable of being a starter at this level. We're talking about replacing them with freshmen. And these freshmen might be talented, but typically even talented freshmen, you'd prefer them being like your sixth man, seventh man coming off the bench. If the, if the next best players after Desmond Claude are Lazar Djokovic and Trey Green, I'm not saying those aren't starter level players, but in an ideal world, on a good team in the Big East, if you're a top half of the Big East team this season, those guys are probably coming off your bench on that type of team. And that's my concern for the Xavier group is like, they might need Trey Green and Lazar Djokovic to be their second and third best player the way things are looking right now. I don't know if they're going to get enough out of Davion McKnight, Quincy Oliveri, Abu Usman, the, the Conference USA All-Stars. Um, Gitas is solid. But again, I don't know if he gives you enough pop, enough high-end talent. He would have been really – they expected him to be coming off the bench maybe as the sixth or seventh man behind Lazar to start the year. So okay, maybe those guys, maybe Lazar really is that guy, and maybe Trey Green will get it going quick enough to where he's that type of guy. But I have some concerns that this is like Desmond Claude and then a bunch of like fourth or fifth type guys at best, but maybe more like sixth or seventh guys. Yeah, I, I think when – when you look at how you you phrase that, it goes back to the age-old Rick Broering, do you have the best player on the floor? Well, the only difference with this with this year is, you like we know who the go-to guy is. We know who the end of the shot clock, like Desmond Claude is their guy this year. So there's no confusion. In the past, they've had like a lot of good number twos and threes, I think. That was my argument, right? Like that yeah. you didn't have the go-to guy, the killer at the end of games. In the past, it's like you have three guys that are really good number twos. This year, I don't know that they have that. Like they used to have enough high-end talent to compete with all these teams. This year, it's like Desmond Claude is that type of player and he's good enough to be the go-to player and be the alpha. But after him, do you have a two? Do you have a three? I don't know. And may maybe they do, but it's just right now, that would be a concern for me. Yeah. All right. Uh, second, I'm going to go in general. I'm going to just say, and this is obvious, it, it's the shooting percentages. We've talked a lot about it. We probably don't need to keep going on about it. But you're three games in. Um, this was a team that was expected to not be a great shooting team. Look, you're not going to be last year with Sule Boom and Adam Kunkel and Jack Nunji being able to step out and hit threes and Colby Jones getting better as a three-point shooter and everything else. This was not that team but you at least had some guys that you felt like could knock it down from beyond the arc when they needed to right now, that's not happening. And that quite honestly can't keep happening. If you're going to give yourself a shot to whip, because if you look last night, seven for 29 from three against Purdue, you hit a couple more 
And that's an entirely different, as wild as it is to say, look, Purdue was always in control of that game. I'm not, I'm not sitting here making an argument that if Xavier goes 10 for 29, they win the game because they, maybe that energy gets them a stop on it. You know, it, it's a whole different game. I'm just saying you, you, you can't keep going seven for 29 or five for 25 or whatever it might be from three. That's just not sustainable. Well, and that's the the thing for this team is it's not like they're typically hitting eight, nine, 10 threes. And they just had that game where they were seven for 28. It's like, no, seven is a good night for them in terms of number of threes made. Now it wasn't a good percentage, but they're just not a team that's probably going to take a lot of threes in general. And on the nights that they do, you hope it's not as bad of a percentage as seven for 28. But I would add that like this is what I wrote down was three point shooting. If Quincy Oliveri can't get it going because at some point, if he does start to hit some threes and he doesn't have to be a great player for this team, but if he can be a reliable 37, 38 plus percent three point shooter, knock down the open kickouts and give Desmond a little bit of space. So they can't just completely sag off in the gaps and, and cut down all driving lanes for Des. Then I, I think he has, value to this team and i think the team overall will be able to function enough offensively with the style that they play that flow offense that they run so effectively and, and playing in transition and, and playing with pace that can work if they can get some regular three-point shooting but if quincy never comes around and he can't shoot then you're basically saying trey green is the guy that we're going to be relying on to be our go-to three-point option all year and as good as trey green is going to be Asking that out of a freshman is just a lot. And we've, we've talked about this so many times over the years, going back to like Miles Davis is a great example. Freshmen almost always hit shooting slumps. They never shoot to their normal percentages for the full year. They always have a stretch where they either tire out or they, or they struggle early or whatever the case is where they just do not end up shooting to their percentage because they have a bad stretch. And like, I think if you have to rely on Trey Green to be your best go-to three-point shooting option all year, inevitably you're going to run into a stretch like that. Yeah. And so now here we are and you go out to Vegas and you hope things change around. Um, anything else from you on the, on the concern side, Rick, we've hit everything. No, I, I don't to talk about. I don't think so, but you want to um, jump into the Vegas invitational a little bit, just do a, a preview Let's do it. of that event. Cause you're headed out there. You and Baum are headed out there. Um, what, like, Take us through this just a little bit. We don't want to spend a lot of time on it because we talked a lot about the podcast last week, but what is kind of the plan as you guys are out there traveling with the team in terms of content? Is it is it still f recording podcasts with Sean or are you doing other stuff? So potentially, uh, we're still waiting on, on confirmation on a schedule. We may have an episode out there. We may not do a full episode. There will be a ton of content. A lot of it uh, will probably be vlog style. Um, so we're really going to up our game, especially on the YouTube side, uh, in the next couple of weeks or so with vlog style content, interviews, things like that. Um, so over the next couple of days, it's basically going to be whatever the team's doing, we're going to be there. Um, just basically digital media content coverage, stuff like that. Um, but we'll be there. We're flying out tomorrow or Wednesday afternoon as, as you all are listening to this. So we'll be there. It was funny. We were joking about looking for other people around maybe outside of the sports world to bring in because it's you heard me on this podcast back in uh, what was that February when I said that the F1 race was going to be the biggest sporting event in the world 
And then yeah. now all of a sudden Max Verstappen has already won the title and the prices are nuts. And it feels like this is a disaster situation for Vegas. Like, I'm not going to derail this podcast with 10 minutes of F1 talk because nobody cares. But uh, I do care a little bit. And it's it has become a massive disaster for Xavier. So, like, hotel prices right now for the weekend. If anybody's listening to this and thinking about taking a last-minute trip to Vegas, as wild as this sounds, hotel prices right now are back down to regular weekend, whatever the normal no, third weekend and second weekend in November hotel pricing would be. Because wow, that? It, it, it's in a, in a very weird way. I compared it to... Uh, uh, Lizzie was at my fiance was asking me about it the other day. She was asking me why, what was going on. And I, I compared it to the Taylor Swift concert here in Cincinnati, where everybody complained about it for a month leading up to it. Oh, I'm not going anywhere near downtown. It's going to be crazy. It's going to be crazy. We went downtown. We parked in six minutes. It was easier to get into Paycor than it was for a Bengals game. There was no traffic anywhere. The city handled it flawlessly. And that was because nobody actually showed up down in the city that day, like in a crazy like flooding down there type of way it feels like this where everybody in the world was told not to go to vegas because it's going to be so crazy and now people aren't showing up so there's a ton of hotel rooms still open there's a ton of restaurant reservations still open the prices for the actual race are dropping all of that is to say that uh you know looking ahead to the weekend with getting around and getting out there if anybody's going it shouldn't be as nuts with travel as as we thought it was going to be uh, going into this, but yeah, we're excited to get out there. We have a ton of, as far as like interviews go, um, the Sean Miller podcast account will be doing that. We're debating. Um, I guess there's really no debate. We're going to do it, but I'm very interested to see what the spaces audience will be at 3 a.m. Eastern time on. What will that be? Friday, Friday, Saturday morning, 3 a.m. Saturday morning. Who's we'll fire one up, but who's going to be in there. That's going to be the diehards of the diehards. Uh, and I saw somebody point out on Twitter, this is going to be revenge for everybody that stayed up for that 2011 Hawaii game. I stayed up for that. I remember watching that game. I don't know if you remember what that game back I, in. Uh, I, I do. Unfortunately, I, I remember you stay up? that as well. I yeah. mean, I didn't have a choice. Um, oh yeah. Right, oh yeah. That's true. Well, let's, let's get, into, get into the actual matchup though, because I actually have some, I don't know if insights, the right word, but I, I have a scouting report on Washington because I was just at Washington last week. NKU played there. So, um, NKU played a great game there, by the way. Yeah, I, they had a legit chance to, uh, That's to what be I mean. in that game at the end. And that was with their best player, Mark Wes Warwick, going 0 for 11 from the field. So, yeah. um, they, they, they had a chance. And I think they, you know, you saw some things get exposed about this Washington team in terms of, of their offense. But if you're a local basketball fan, you're really going to, have some familiarity with this Washington team because their best player is a former UK player and Keon Brooks. He's averaging over 24 a game and, and he looks phenomenal. He's shooting the ball well from the outside. He's making plays off the bounce. He's finishing and rebounding inside. He looks really good and, and he's a tough matchup at the forward position. You'd really like to have Jerome Hunter in this game to match up with him. Uh, unfortunately, that's obviously not going to be the case for Xavier. It'll be interesting to see if Lazar gets some minutes in this game. I'm, I'm expecting that he will see some time in this event. So uh, if he's in there against Keon Brooks, that will definitely be a tough matchup for him to make his debut. And then uh, Keon had transferred a, a year ago. He was at Washington last year, was a, a second team all-conference player in the Pac-12. And then just this offseason, Severe Wheeler, the former Kentucky point guard, former Georgia point guard, 
transferred out to Washington. And he's now their second leading scorer, averaging 16 points a game, uh, six assists. He's a guy that turns the ball over a lot. He's erratic. He's five, eight, five, nine, shaped like a bowling ball, like out of shape, but just really fast and plays downhill and bounces off of contact constantly. Uh, doesn't really shoot it well from the outside, but he can really pass and get into the lane and get paint touches. And he's just kind of a hard guard. He, he can sometimes take you out of the game with the way he plays and his erratic style, but he's difficult to keep in front and he kind of can disrupt your defense a bit. So uh, he gave NKU a lot of trouble. It'll be interesting to see how Davion McKnight does against him because those are two kind of similar style players in terms of being the shorter, stockier, really fast guards. Um, and then after him, another connection for Xavier fans, Paul Mulcahy. The transfer from Rutgers, 6'6 point guard, who Xavier was definitely in there on. They ended up losing out. It was alleged that Washington paid him a massive NIL deal upwards of like $400,000 to uh, to go play out there. So who knows what the real number is and what he actually got. But he's definitely making some good money to, to take on Xavier in this game. And, and Xavier missed out on him because of that. So uh, those are three guys right there that if you're a local basketball fan, you probably have some knowledge of. And those are three of their main players. After that, I'd say the other big thing to know about them is they have three big men who are essentially in that seven-foot range. One of them, the, the guy who's been starting for them, is like 6'10", six, 6'11". Six, uh, the other guys that come off the bench are 7'2", and 7'3", and I think, or something like that. So uh, none of them have done much, though. They're like, they, defensively, they can block some shots, they rebound. But offensively, they're kind of stiffs. So I don't I don't think you have to worry a ton about that, especially after seeing the job that that Xavier did, at least in the first half against Zach Eady. Would you say this is a good or a bad matchup for Xavier? Um, I think it's a good one, partially because I think Washington is a little bit of a slapdick outfit. Like, I don't think they're real sharp, and I don't think they're like uh super good at running their stuff, uh, so to speak, for lack of a, b a better phrase, I guess. I would think. You, would you say they are an unserious program? I, I don't know if I'd say unserious program, but like one of the other things about them is their coach, Mike Hopkins, was a Syracuse player. The only place he's ever coached prior to this was at Syracuse. He was supposed to be the head coach in waiting at Syracuse, and then Beheim kind of screwed him over. So now he's the head coach at, at Washington, and they've been a 2-3 zone team, obviously, mostly during his tenure there. And now he wants to be a fully man-to-man -man team because he thinks he has the personnel to play that way. I'll be honest, watching them, I'm a little confused on why they're not playing zone still. <laughs> they, they don't look real good yet on the defensive end in their man-to-man. -man. So uh, I think that's a, that's another thing to, to keep an eye on there is, is can Xavier maybe get some easy ones because Washington seems a little bit lazy in their man-to-man -man defense. Okay. Uh, and then looking ahead, San Diego State and St. Mary's, whichever one wins or loses, Xavier will match up with the, the winner or loser of that one. Um, St. Mary's lost a, a stunner to Weber State the other night. Yeah, they, they had a nice win over New Mexico, and then they followed that up with a, a four-point loss to Weber State at home. And the problem with that is, Paul, is they were ranked in the top 25 prior to that. Now they're not, and they won't be probably uh, – maybe at any point this season, but certainly not for a while now because of that. And so it really kind of takes the luster off of if you were to match up with them in the second round of this event via, 
be it through a, a win or a loss. Um, they're now 43rd in Ken Palm. Looking at the other option there, though, at San Diego State, who's uh, one and one after beating Cal State Fullerton and then losing by nine to BYU, 74-65. So the Aztecs are 31st in Ken Palm. They are... I, I don't know that they're a, like a much better option at this point than, than St. Mary's. So uh, both of these are defensive-minded teams. Neither one has really made outside shots to this point in the season. Uh, that, that can obviously still turn around. It's very early. But I think that's kind of what you're looking at in the, the second matchup is probably more of a grinder game, teams that are going to want to play low-scoring defensive matchups. And we'll see how Xavier fares in that. What's your prediction for the week? I think when we did the season preview podcast, we said one and one Xavier wins the Washington game and loses on Sunday. Uh, are you sticking with that? You're saying two and zero. Oh, you're saying zero oh and two. I'm gonna say one and one still. I think they beat Washington. Um, I I feel better about them winning both games now, though, than I did at the time of recording this. And partially that's because of what St. Mary's and San Diego state look like right now. If, if both of those teams were undefeated coming in and, and playing at a really high level, then maybe I'd feel differently. But I think partially it also is due to the way Xavier looked in the Purdue game. Like they, they look that like they can play with top teams. And I don't think either of these are, are quite top teams. I think they're pretty good teams. So um, it wouldn't surprise me right now if Xavier went 2-0. and I think 0-2 actually would be the most surprising outcome of this event. Oh, yeah. I, I would be shocked because even if Xavier lost on, on what would that be, Friday night and then grinded one out on Sunday, I, I don't. I would be very surprised if they went 0-2 this weekend. I'm still going to stick with 1-1. I think they win Friday and then lose on Sunday. But 2-0 would not be nearly as surprising as I would have told you two weeks ago. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and then as far as just on that note, um, more MTE news from today's Matt Norlander reported that uh, Xavier will be in the Fort Myers tip off. That's Thanksgiving week next year. That field is let me see if I can do this off the top of my head. I think it's Xavier, Michigan, Virginia Tech and South Carolina. Sounds right. Yeah, I'm not going to. I think it that's up, it. That right. I, I think that's it. The Hall's Chop House Bowl next year. That'll be on Thanksgiving week. I think it's Monday and Wednesday is when it's being played this year. And I said it should be the same schedule next year. Uh, but that's that's your news there. Anything else, Rick, on uh, on MTE, on the MTE front? Anything? No, it seems like it should be a solid event for next year and definitely a, a decent location for people that want to travel to that game. So, yeah, um, yeah, that'll work out. Last thing to hit on real quick, Paulie, unless you got anything else is 2024 signing. We call it signing day. It's really now like signing week. It's a, it's a period of... Uh, seven or eight days or whatever it is. But uh, Xavier had one commit in the 2024 class, and he did sign last week. He had a public signing ceremony on Friday at Centerville High School. That's Jonathan Powell, 6'6 wing. Obviously, we have a bunch more coverage at musketeerreport.com, including a, an impact article, which breaks down what he brings to the table and and sort of how we'll fit it into the roster. And then also a, another premium piece that we did that sort of broke down the, his recruitment and how Dante Jackson, who was the lead recruiter for him, was able to bring him in and, and land the, his commitment at Xavier. So uh, definitely check those out. But in terms of what you're getting with Jonathan Powell, he's a big shooter. 6'6", good athlete, has the frame to 
to fill out and develop into uh, a high major or even professional looking type of player. He has that body, but he can really shoot it from the outside and he's very aggressive. He, he attempted over like 200 threes last year and shot over 40%. So he, he's a big time shooter. And I think that's definitely, if you're watching this current Xavier team, that's definitely something to get excited about. And one other piece of, of news, I guess, not really news, just kind of reading in between the lines. As far as Lazar Djokovic goes for this week, uh, I'm just going based off of what Sean talked about in the postgame press conference last night at Purdue. I, I would probably say the way that I would phrase it would be that I, I would be more surprised than not if he didn't play this week. I, I don't know how much. I don't know if maybe you see him for one or two wars in each game just to kind of ease him into it. But I would be more surprised than if he didn't play. Yeah, did you get the sense that they maybe just didn't want to run him out there for his first game at Mackey Arena? Yeah. That was what, because I was kind of expecting. That was the, the, yeah. That, I mean, he was, he, he, go ahead. Yeah, I was just expecting that he might make his first appearance there. It seemed like everything they had said and every indication we had was that he was kind of back and, and ready to go in terms of, at least he can't do any more damage which is what Sean told us was what they were waiting for is where he could, he could play and participate in practice or in games without doing any farther damage to the injury. And I think we're at that point. So he had gone through walkthroughs with the team. I thought we might see him at Purdue. I'm guessing that just didn't feel like the right spot to fit him in at. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to guess that the number two team in the country on the road in prime time was probably not the best place to ease your freshman international player into it but yeah instead instead he can uh play in a ballroom in vegas with 400 people watching at midnight so uh, hey whoa put some respect isn't it t-mobile aren't we going to t-mobile oh that's right that's right that's it won't be Ah. it won't be in a vegas ballroom sorry (laughs) the huge one uh all right yeah that that i just wanted to make sure we kind of put that in there because there were so many tweets i think people we're assuming or expecting that he would play against Purdue. I just, I think we're, you're just waiting for the right time to get him in. And I, I would anticipate Vegas being a perfect chance to slot him in, assuming he's healthy and doesn't regress this week. I would expect to see him at some point, whether that's Friday, whether that's Sunday, I don't know, but I would expect to see him at some point out in Vegas. Let's, let's assume the first game that Lazar plays, he plays more than 10 minutes. So, like, if he play, if he comes in for two minutes against Washington, that doesn't count, okay? Okay. First game that he plays at least 10 minutes. Let's assume that's this weekend it happens. What is this stat line going to be? Ooh, good question. Uh, I'll say... I'll say three for five from the field. Gets a few shots up. Let's, let's go with, like, eight points... I was going to say seven eight, eight. points, four rebounds. I was going with eight block shots. I was going with eight and four with an assist. Yeah. Eight and four with an assist. Okay. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. I think with Lazar, the upside is unquestionable. The tools are all there. Like, I'm really excited to see what he develops into. He could be a pro one day, all of that stuff. I, I get why people are so high on him. I also feel like expectations need to be tempered just a little bit on him because to me, he doesn't seem like as ready as maybe a Dalen Swain, I'm not Dalen Swain, but as Trey Green even. Like Trey Green felt more impactful right away to me than Lazar did. And I think part of that's just because Lazar is like figuring out how it's done over here and the physicality and speed of the game and all that stuff. Uh, So I I think the more and more he gets comfortable, the more you're seeing him. 
step his level up. So we might be at that point much sooner than later. I think one of the biggest on the court lessons that I have learned in the last four years since I graduated in covering college basketball a lot closer and and being able to watch a lot of these things and and get down in the nitty gritty and nitpick this is not to get expectations too high for a freshman. Unless it's a five-star number one overall recruit that you just know is a home run lottery pick, the, the you just can't expect too much right out of the gate. And I think a lot of times where – how many times in the last three or four years have we seen, whether it's like a, like a Kiki Tandy or anybody – is this the – third straight podcast that we've talked about kiki tandy whether it's like a keep the streak alive baby (laughs) i didn't even do that on purpose if you uh if you look at kiki you know somebody that got hurt and you're thinking okay as soon as he gets back you're gonna the microwave's there he's just gonna warm it up the shooting it's all gonna get back team's gonna look great it just doesn't really pan out and then you, you think oh well wait what were we expecting three weeks ago i think that's where Look, I'm not sitting here trying to put a a wet blanket on this. I'm just saying if you're expecting Lazar to go out there and put up 20 points and eight rebounds in his first game, he may very well do that because he is talented enough to do that, but I, I wouldn't expect it right away. Yeah, he's also freshman enough and inexperienced enough with the the game over here to go out the next two games and go 0 for 4 and disappear and do just about nothing and, and give up 20 points defensively. So like that's that's the exact point I would be making is there's just a level like even Trey Green right now. We're talking about how good Trey Green looks and yet you're seeing him struggle to make shots and yeah. not do the exact thing that he's probably going to be best at. And when we talk about some of the greats like Two Holloway, it's like go look at some of Two Holloway's stat lines from that first year, right? There's just inconsistencies by nature from freshman players. So when you start talking about guys as like the saving grace or the missing link or whatever for a team. And they're a freshman. I just do think you have to temper expectations a little bit. Now, that being said, I'm really excited to watch Lazar play because I think it's going to be fun. I The one note that I would have on Lazar that I'm looking for when he does get out onto the court and gets extended minutes when we really see him settle into the rotation. Adam made this point, and I would very much echo this point. I am very interested to see what his toughness and tenacity is because I think if he that's just a innate personal thing that he has to build and develop but if he gets that edge if he gets that toughness that like I said tenacity that a Sean Miller team exemplifies a lot you're talking about a really special player here but I think there's a lot of uh you know kind of finesse to his game and and you don't see that same kind of grit and toughness that if he does begin to exemplify that and show that you, you, the ceiling to me on him goes from if you're watching on YouTube here to up here yeah, that was low to high for those people listening at home that's what that's he right. was doing signaling low that would be high. low uh, to high Lazar to me is like the the typical stereotype for European players right the skill, the face-up game, all that stuff, and just uh, maybe a little on the softer side. Doesn't have the toughness. Whereas Gidas is different. Like he's much more physical, kind of plays with an edge. Lazar just doesn't have that. So I do think that's going to be a bit of a process for him as well as he he adapts to that part of the game. But again, the talent outweighs m- most of the stuff he's going to have to figure out. So he- he'll be able to make an impact right away. And we'll just see how consistent it is. 
Look, if we're sitting here talking about toughness, there are a lot bigger issues that we could be talking about. Yeah, exactly. So, so. look, hopefully we'll get to see him this weekend. I, I look forward to that. Anything else, Rick? I think that's it. I think that was a good show, Paul. All right, let's wrap it up. And uh, Xavier, again, it's it's Friday night. It's Friday. I, I'm still getting questions about when this game will be played. It is Friday night into Saturday. It's Friday night at 9 o'clock Vegas time. So it'll be midnight Saturday uh, Eastern time. So it'll, it'll end at 2 a.m. Eastern time on Saturday uh, on uh, for the for the Xavier and Washington game. And then they'll play. The, I'm not even going to talk about the game times on Sunday because that'll vary depending on whether they win or lose on Friday. But again, We'll, we'll space after the game. I don't know for how long, and I don't know how many people will be there, but if you're up and you're a sicko and you want to talk about it, we'll be there. Also, Xavier Nation, if you're willing to lend your your voices and your spirits on Sunday at 2 p.m., Norse Nation could certainly use one as they travel to Fifth Third Arena to take on the Bearcats. So Is 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 NKU going to go 2-0 against Cincinnati in the last two years? All I know is if that happens, we'll be reading an awful lot about Wes Miller's buyout over the next week. That would be a, if NKU goes out, look, this is not, I'm not, we don't need to turn this into an NKU show as much as I know we could, we could, you and I could sit here and talk about that for a while. We'll save that for the rebound rundown. I'm extremely intrigued to watch this game on Sunday. Very intrigued. Me too, Paul. Me too. They they owe NKU one though. I can't imagine it's going to come easy. All right. Well, we'll see. Uh, going to be a. It should be a fun week. It should be a fun week. Uh, we'll have all the coverage for you all week. Washington and then either San Diego State or St. Mary's on Sunday. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you next week on the Musketeer Report podcast.